You're listening to sermons from St. Macarios the Great, Orthodox Mission in Hyde Park. Of course, the reply of Abraham is that 
A great chasm separates these two. And one can cross between it. And it's interesting to note that while there is this great chasm between these figures, they're able to converse very intimately. There's somehow a great closeness and yet a great chasm. And I want to put it to you this morning that that same reality of the afterlife was true for the rich man and Lazarus in their earthly lives. Lazarus sat at the rich man's gate, close by to him, and yet a great chasm lived between them, separating them. A great chasm. And what's the cause of this separation? This nearness and yet distance. What's the cause of it? The Bible has a word for it. A sort of summary word. It's called idolatry. In the Bible, there are no atheists. That is not the chief enemy of the faith, you could say. There are no atheists. Everybody is a worshiper of someone. It's whether you have true worship or false worship. And the rich man was an idolater. He was a worshiper of, as our Lord said, mammon. You cannot serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. There's a theologian and, and writer, a Roman Catholic, named Eugene McCarriher, and he describes rather, in rather great detail in one of his books that he published recently, the way that this same idolatry, the same worship of mammon, infects our society. In our lives. This is what he says. He says, its animating spirit is money. Its theology, philosophy, and cosmology has been otherwise known as economics. Its sacramentals consist of fetishized commodities and technologies, the material culture of production and consumption. Its moral and liturgical codes are contained in the management theory and business journalism. Its clarity is a corporate intelligentsia of economists, executives, managers, and business writers. Its iconography consists of advertising, public relations, marketing, and product design. Its beatific vision of eschatological destiny is the global imperium of capital, a heavenly city of business with incessantly expanding production, trade, and consumption. Its gospel is the that of mammonism the attribution of ontological power to money and an existential sublimity to its possessors. You see, the rich man 
We don't hear anything else about him, just, just that he was rich. And yet, he ended up in Hades. It's the only detail we have, the only relevant detail. I want to suggest that he worshipped at this altar of mammonism, of mammon. His fine clothes or his vestments, his fine food, his Eucharist. His sacrifice to mammon made him blind to love. Made him blind to the absurd inequality and injustice that lay right at his doorstep. And again, even in Hades, then, we see, as I said before, Lazarus is viewed by this rich man as his servant. He says to him a second time, okay, send Lazarus to my brothers, send him to my house to warn them. And of course, we know Abraham's reply. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Of course, this is God's care for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, runs throughout the scriptures, through Moses and the prophets, we hear of God's special love and care for those who are weakest. Leviticus says, you shall not wrong any widow or orphan if ever you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will surely listen to their cry. Or Isaiah, we read, God is a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress. Or in the book of Proverbs, he who closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself cry out and not be heard. But the rich man, not satisfied with what he heard in the Torah, what he heard in the prophets, or what he heard in the writings, not satisfied with what he heard, he says, ah, but if someone should rise from the dead, then they'll listen. Then they'll repent. But, of course, Christ made the same point. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. I've spoken before about the life of St. Maria of Paris. We have an icon right above, in the middle of this group of icons there. The wonderful saint of the 20th century, patron of my daughter. And St. Maria says about this text, this famous text from Matthew 25, that the wonderful thing about it is that God places an equal sign between himself and all those in need. An equal sign, Christ, 
and those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are in prison. I want to suggest to you that the life of St. Maria is an example of the rejection of this gospel of manism. She was an emigre after the Russian Revolution, traveled around a bit, ended up eventually in Paris. There was lots and lots of Russian immigrants in the city who were greatly in need. They left everything. They were trying to rebuild. Many of them, because they did not speak the language, ended up in insane asylums. Because no one could understand what they were saying. Saint Maria went in to these places and spoke with these people and convinced the staff that they were not crazy. They just didn't speak the language. She founded several houses of hospitality, which were places where these people, these immigrants, who had nowhere else to go, could live. They lived in these houses. They had a chapel. They served the services, the divine services. They ran a soup kitchen out of the back, feeding thousands and thousands of people. When the Nazi occupation of Paris took place, and Jews will be round, were rounded up and sent to concentration camps. St. Maria, along with others, helped to forge baptismal certificates and smuggle Jews out of Paris to safety. At one point, thousands of people, thousands of Jews were rounded up into a velodrome, a big sports stadium. Because of her monastic garb, St. Maria was able to make her way in. And she went around, handing out what food she had, speaking to people, praying with them. But then she decided, along with the garbage workers, who were taking out the garbage, that maybe she had a plan. What if we put some of these children in the garbage can and smuggled them out? With the help of the garbage collector, she managed to smuggle out many children from that velodrome, saving them from likely execution. She ended her life in Ravensbrück concentration camp. Now, her life is an example of the love of the gospel, the rejection of the gospel of mammon. But I think we make a mistake. especially in our hyper-individualized, atomized, capitalist society, to think entirely as individuals. We read the life of someone like St. Maria and we think, what an example of heroic individualism. It is an example, certainly, but St. Maria was not alone what she did. She did not rely on her own strength to accomplish what she did, and she did not 
do it alone. If we had to rely on our own strength and operate solely as individuals, we would all be sunk. No, St. Maria was surrounded by a church, by a community, by a family of other faithful members, by other priests, by other faithful. No one can serve thousands of meals alone. Countless people sacrificed, gave money, gave food, donated to pay rent and bills, and all these other things that went in to this collective effort to save these people. She was the product of a community. The work of her houses of hospitality was the efforts of a community of saints whose names we don't know. Some of them we do, but most of those saints we don't know their names. Countless faithful men, women, contributing their small part to the work of God, the work of love. Members gathered around the true altar of God, worshiping, yes, on Sunday, but throughout the week as well. St. John Chrysostom, in his homilies on 2 Corinthians, says, You honor this altar because it receives Christ's body at the Eucharist. But the poor man who is himself the body of Christ you treat with scorn, yet you can see this altar lying around everywhere, both in streets and in markets, marketplaces, and you can sacrifice upon it at every hour, for on this altar too, meaning the altar of the poor, is sacrifice performed. So I want to conclude with the words of St. Gregory the Theologian. He says, to conclude, if you believe what I say, servants of Christ, brothers and sisters, fellow heirs, while there is still time, let us visit Christ, let us care for Christ, feed Christ, clothe Christ, welcome Christ, honor Christ, not only by seating him at our tables as some did, nor with ointments like Mary, nor only with burial like Joseph of Arimathea, nor with what was needed for burial like Nicodemus, nor with gold, incense, or myrrh like the wise men before all others. No, the Lord of all things wants mercy rather than sacrifice. And he wants hearts full of compassion rather than thousands of lambs. Let us give them to him then, through the poor and those who suffer today, so that when we leave this world, we shall be received in the eternal storehouses by the same Christ our Lord, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen.